Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. I do love Christmas, and we are here the week of, and today, this last Sunday of Advent, we'll hear the traditional Christmas story from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I don't know where or when, I don't know what move or what accident, but somewhere along the line in recent years, our family lost Ugly Metal Santa. Ugly Metal Santa was a fixture of my childhood. In fact, it it goes back to my mother's childhood. By the time Ugly Metal Santa made it into my life, uh, he was pretty worn. It was a face of Santa about face size. And I think probably in the 1940s, there was some kind of colored velvet on the front that made out the colors of the hat and all the rest. But by the time it made it into my childhood, it was just kind of a worn metal thing. Faint hints of the glory days were there. But for a few years uh, in my childhood, Ugly Metal Santa was on top of the tree. It was metal but hollow. It had a, a hole in the bottom so it could be there. But thankfully for most of the Christmases, it came down off the top of the tree. and was propped up uh, on the tree stand underneath. I think we were hoping, the children were hoping, that presents would cover Ugly Metal Santa before any of our friends actually came over to the house. Now, we had some nice Christmas decorations. We, we, we had those little expensive miniature houses and all of that. But uh, Ugly Metal Santa was special to us. He, he was the one that we got, the, the ornament, the, the decoration that we got the most excited about when he came out of the box. Somebody would stand up and yell, I found it. I've got ugly metal Santa. Well, I want to introduce you to another uh, ugly and ordinary uh, Santa decoration. 
This is in so many ways a bad decoration. Uh, Let me count the ways. It is a cheap wooden chunk that is barely at all detailed. I think Melissa might have gotten this as a gift from a child in her elementary school class years ago. As a public service announcement, I think I say this every December, uh, I want to remind everyone that teachers love gift cards much more than they like ugly wooden ornaments. But anyway, anyway, cheap and ordinary are not the only problems here. Why in the world is Santa carrying a Christmas tree and not a sack of toys? Where, where in the tradition... Does Santa tote a Christmas tree? Shouldn't the tree be set up before Santa ever gets involved? And more disturbing, probably most disturbing about this, is that Santa is posing like John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever. And Santa's pose here is is how this particular decoration got its name in our family, For the last 25 years or so that he's been part of our Christmas, this has been Disco Santa. And now Disco Santa is one of our most valued Christmas decorations. There is a big to-do every year when Disco Santa comes out of the box. Because in the magic of Christmas, the ordinary becomes precious and even sacred because it gets woven into our stories. And so it's the ordinariness of the Christmas story that struck me so this year. God in the ordinary has captured my attention this week. And and it struck me how ordinary today's Advent story is. But let me back up. I've been preaching throughout Advent the stories of Christmas where people's plans got rerouted. They, they thought they had their calendar mapped out. And then by God's intervention, wonder was introduced into their world. So in a year full of rerouted expectations, I thought we might find some grace in the stories of how God has used disruption as an occasion to surprise with something new and something better. Well, four Sundays of Advent, one Sunday we did lessons and carols, as you remember. That leaves three. I considered telling the three stories that I've told this Advent season in order, which would have made sense. Had I done these stories in order, the first Sunday would have been the shepherds who were looking and anticipating and moving toward the birth, the upcoming birth of Jesus. The second, had I done them in order, would have been today's scripture, the birth itself. This this setting in Luke where the child is born. And the third, had I done them in order, would have been the story of the Magi who came after Mary has delivered and visit Jesus in a house. And that would have made sense. But what prevailed for me was sentiment. Because this is the story we want to hear the Sunday before Christmas, right? 
We want to hear the birth story in Luke. In those days, there went out a decree. So I fiddled with the order a little bit and put this one last for totally nothing more than romantic, nostalgic sentiments. And if you noticed, I even read it in the King James Version for the same hokey sentimental reasons. But here is what happened when I worked through the scriptures in this order. I came to see that this life-changing story of the birth of our Lord is told in the most ordinary way. Look, Look at this story compared to some other biblical stories, for example. Well... In, in size, you, you have uh, the birth of Jesus and the resurrection, right? The, the nativity and the passion, uh, Christmas and Easter. So in the Easter story, if we're just looking at those two kind of side by side, there's an earthquake, a rending of a curtain from top to bottom, an angel of the Lord sitting by empty bed linens, and the most outrageous miracle of all when God has raised up Jesus from the dead. It's it's a story full of loud miracle and wonder. Or if we place today's story next to the other two stories that we've looked at this Advent season. The Magi see a divining star up into the heavens, and they follow that star in this miraculous journey that hovers over even the house where Jesus is laid. And then last week, we had the story of the shepherds who were interrupted by the presence of an angel and then joined by a choir of heaven singing glory to God in the highest. And yet, in today's story, the birth of a Savior, there is no detail that strays from the ordinary. There's no up-tempo. There's no miracle. There's no build. There's no visit from the other side of the veil. This is an ordinary tale about a young Jewish couple from Galilee who make a trip. Listen again to the plain, flat-footed storytelling of the nativity. And it came to pass in those days... There went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. See, so far we've got no wow. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. 
And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, I imagine that any woman who has experienced childbirth doesn't speak of that event in the passive. The days were accomplished that she should be delivered. You see, there's no an- there are no angels, there are no doves, there are no choirs, no burning bush, no parted sea. In, in this story, there's a governor and a tax and a road trip and a birth. And it strikes me that one of the ways we miss the activity of God is that we're often looking to the sky, praying for the extraordinary when God is most likely at eye level in the work of the ordinary. The most transformative birth in all of history. And it's told in the ordinary. It's a theme throughout the Old and New Testament, that that God is sanctifying what is ordinary. All of sacred history is about ordinary people, mostly in the midst of ordinary events that took on deeper meanings because they were transformed into a deep spiritual significance because of the work of God. You remember that one of the problems that Jesus had was his ordinary background. He came from ordinary Nazareth. Can any good come out of Nazareth? He touched and blessed the common folk. He washed people's feet. He related to lepers and tax collectors and fishermen. And he transformed ordinary elements like bread and wine. A careful reading of Scripture shows us that there is as much holiness happening in the ordinary as in the spectacular. A widow who tosses in a few coins, a young boy with a lunch pail, a wedding that's run out of wine. Awakened, positive response to the ordinary might just be the place where God ushers in the transforming presence that we need so badly this Christmas. All right, back to Disco Santa. Disco Santa is probably worth about $4.00. In January, you could probably get him at half of that price, I would think. But its value is that the ordinary has been caught up in our family love story. His value is his place in our family narrative. Part of the 
part of the mystery of Christmas is that the ordinary things get transformed. Because once the ordinary enters into the story of what God is doing to reclaim the world back home, the mundane is transformed into purpose. In our story today, an ordinary road trip to be counted for taxation is now a holy pilgrimage. An ordinary Jewish girl from an ordinary village is now the mother of the Messiah. And an ordinary feed box is now the cradle of God. I mentioned that all sacred history is all about the ordinary people and the ordinary events that took on a deeper meaning, transformed into a deep spiritual significance because of the work of God. What what might this Christmas look like if we saw just beyond what's on the surface, saw the hints of God's activity in the ordinary. When when your granddaughter squeals when she opens the third baby doll in a row, like she hadn't just opened two already. When you get the nerve to call your sister this Christmas, Because you haven't talked to her in four Christmases and four Easter's. When you are seated at the same holiday meal you've had for the last 20 years, but this time shivering out in the carport, but preserving the tradition. Or when your daughter's date acts really excited about the socks because he doesn't want to look like he's disappointed his potential future in-laws. When you have the courage to call a counselor instead of an attorney. When the family's loss that's marked by an empty stocking gives you the metal to continue the traditions and not let the sorrow win. When you go around the Christmas tree remembering the ornaments and the travels and the occasions and the stories that are behind each one of them. Or when the new puppy shreds the good paper you were hoping to use again next year. God's best work is often done in the creases of the ordinary if we have eyes to see. The sacred happens to ordinary people in ordinary events that take on deeper meaning, transformed, transformed into deep spiritual significance because of the work of God. But the bigger miracle of Christmas happens when the Christ child becomes part of our story, transforming 
us by placing ordinary lives into the narrative of God's love. I'm an ordinary kid from Doraville, but I'm also an heir, inheritor to the kingdom of God. And any ordinary life has the chance to live a life eternal, a life abundant because of the Jesus gift. Any ordinary life story can become a part of the narrative of God's work reclaiming the world through love. In, in the same way that ugly metal Santa and disco Santa have been reclaimed as precious, not because of their inherent worth, but because of what happened in the context of love. In that way, any ordinary and worn life can be claimed by the love of God and given purpose. And the greatest gift you could give yourself this Christmas, if you have not already, is to offer your life into that amazing transforming love that takes ordinary and makes it sacred for the sake of the kingdom. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.